Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptation, and everything in between. I'm Joe, and Brenna is not here, so in her place, I have recruited former guest Jessica Scott. How you doing, Jessica? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Yeah, I am excited to talk about this weird little movie with you. (laughs) So uh, we are talking about Moonshot. And before we go into the film, I'm just going to acknowledge that the show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And this is normally where we would say the treaty acknowledgement for the film, but of course, Moonshot takes place in space. Oat milk latte, life foam. Hey, how's uh, the Mars boyfriend? Long distance dating sucks. How long have you guys been together? Eight years. Eight years? How did you manage that? He checks all the boxes. Oh, you mean literally? Strong jaw, mental fortitude, six pack. Hmm. We had a plan, and then he got his Martian dream job. So I enrolled in the Mars program. You ever worry that the wrong person is headed to the wrong planet? Goodbye forever, Walt. Five, four, three, two, one. Hello? Hey. What are you doing here? Who sneaks onto spaceships? I can explain. Ever since I was a kid, I dreamt of going to Mars. You can keep my dream alive. Come with me. You cannot, under any circumstances, leave my room, okay? This is gonna suck, isn't it? Only for 35 days. You have to keep a low profile. All right, you guys, I'm your captain. This is Sophie, my girlfriend. Long-term girlfriend. I don't remember you from orientation. What happened? You have to come right back and just rip his jumpsuit off? (laughs) (laughs) What the? Hey, what's up? I just miss you. Sorry, do we have a call scheduled? Come on, let's go have some fun. I don't do fun. You also don't fly on rockets or conspire with stowaways. Sophie, for what? 100 bucks says you just said that into your wrist. Just gotta face it. You're a space criminal now. historic journey to make life more meaningful. Now that is a story people want to hear. You've spent your entire life trying to check an impossible set of boxes. I can't risk the plan. When you find that thing that you're willing to cross the entire universe to be with, make sure it's ready to do the same for you. So, Jessica, I'm curious, uh, had you even heard of this movie before I asked you to come on board this episode? I had not. This was the very first, you know, you sent me a a trailer with a little thumbnail screenshot of it, and that was the first I had seen of it or heard of it. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. We've covered a number of HBO Max films this year, and some of them have been really good you know, really sort of valuable contributions to particularly YA cinema. Mm-hmm. And then there's stuff like this, which <laughs> I'm I'm not going to belittle it and be like, oh, this is a piece of garbage. But it feels like 
even HBO Max didn't have a ton of confidence in this because it just kind of dropped, garnered no press, no buzz, and then I feel like I haven't seen anybody really talking about it. Exactly. Yeah, I haven't seen anyone talking about it on Twitter. It's not on HBO Max at the moment, at least not in the States, um, which I was surprised by since it's an HBO Max original. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they've just kind of dumped it, which, you know, especially with the two leads kind of surprised right? me. Yeah. So folks, if you have not watched Moonshot, it is directed by Chris Winterbauer, and it was written by Max Tax, which is quite the name. (laughs) And uh, it is set in 2049. It tells the story of Dreamer Walt, who is played by Cole Sprouse, who most people know as Jughead from the Riverdale series. And he really, really, really wants to go to Mars. And in this future, it has been colonized by eccentric billionaire Leon Covey, who's played by Zach Braff. And Walt is basically grounded. He cannot get on a shuttle. He's just not exceptional in any way. And he is poor, so he can't afford to pay the $937,000 fee to go up. (laughs) So... (laughs) He ends up having this one night romance with Ginny, who is played by Emily Rudd. And then he decides when he learns she's going on the next shuttle out, he's like, I got to get up there. So he ends up manipulating, blackmailing and guilt tripping rich and lovesick Sophie, who is played by Lana Condor from the To All the Boys I've Loved Before series. She is rich, and her boyfriend, who is a terraformologist, as Walt describes him, uh, played by Mason Gooding. This character, Calvin, is already up there. So basically, Walt negotiates with Sophie. We should both go up. He's going to sneak on board. We have wacky shenanigans. They ultimately end up falling in love over the 35-day trip. And uh, yeah, of course, they end with a kiss. It's all very traditional. Very. <laughs> yeah. I found myself enjoying it a lot more than I expected to. I'm sure we'll mm-hmm. get into the humor and just exactly how breezy it is because it does touch on some serious subjects, but it's got a very light touch. Um, yes. But I, I was actually really surprised. Like I laughed out loud more than once, which took me by surprise. Yeah, so I won't lie, I sent this to Brenna when the trailer first dropped, I want to say like maybe the end of last year. And I thought, oh, okay, it has two people that we both enjoy quite a bit, like, really likable actors. And the premise just felt so dumb and (laughs) off-putting that I was joking. I said, like, oh, we should definitely cover this. Absolutely not. I'm totally kidding. And I do stand by that assertion like this plot (laughs) is ludicrous like i have absolutely no idea why it needed to take place in space it could have just been like a long distance relationship and everything would have played out exactly the same Mm -hmm. but having said that i'm totally in agreement with you i found this really breezy and very charming i was laughing a bunch i think some of these jokes are really really land and Mm -hmm. then we've got Not good chemistry between the leads, but they are so enjoyable to watch because they are hella charming. I was like, yeah, you know what? I will follow these two for an hour and 40 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like you said, they're more like two little puppies, like playing in a room together rather than like some serious romantic (laughs) chemistry. (laughs) But still, who doesn't love watching puppies play together? So yeah, it's a lot of fun. (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, it was interesting because when I was looking up reviews for this, I was trying to gauge how had it been received. And I feel like most people come down on a sort of mixed level. So mm-hmm. a lot of people say they like Spurs, they like Condor, and they think the premise is ridiculous, but it coasts by on this charming energy that it has. But I guess the thing that surprises me the most is like, why is this an hour and 40 minutes and why is it called moonshot (laughs) i kept waiting for the moonshot to show up because i didn't understand that either but yeah i feel like there are a lot of movies lately where it's like you could have cut 15 or 20 minutes maybe Mm -hmm. everybody wants to hit that hour 45 hour 50 minute mark for some reason don't get it i don't either (laughs) (laughs) yeah when this started i looked at well i mean i looked at myself because i was watching this alone but (laughs) i looked at that hour and 40 minute runtime and just thought oh i feel like this is going to be hard to justify (laughs) with this premise Mm -hmm. and it's not that the film isn't easy to watch it's just by the time you get into the third act where it's so obvious where everything is going to Mm -hmm. go like we know that they're going to end up together And we know that they're going to have the classic sort of end of second act fight. Mm -hmm. And just having to watch some sort of mope and live on Mars. But it's like clearly (laughs) not Mars. This is a really (laughs) cheap green screen. Mm -hmm. It's just like, yeah, we we could have trimmed some of this down. Yeah, I wouldn't have minded the runtime if even if they had leaned more into the humor. Because I I like that this movie is aware of how ridiculous it is, but it's not Mm -hmm. really winking at us. It's just leaning into it and saying, you know what? Let's have some goofy fun for an hour 40. Yes. But yeah, I, I more dance parties with the captain. Maybe. I don't know. I would have preferred that over some of the other (laughs) things, but I agree. I think they could have trimmed it quite a bit because as you say, this is uh, not a groundbreaking story. We know where everything's going from the beginning. Yeah. So I mentioned I was looking at reviews and I ended up finding myself agreeing most with, uh, shockingly enough, a critic I don't always end up loving, (laughs) David Ehrlich uh, from IndieWire. I think he writes a very fair review where he's acknowledging that in some ways this is playing out more like an old-fashioned rom-com where it's not trying to surprise us. It's actually just letting us sit and enjoy I mean, again, I said the chemistry between the two of them is not great. I think they do have a good friendship chemistry. Yeah. The romance, I didn't really get. But as you said, it's delightful to watch the puppies play together. <laughs> and I really appreciated his commentary that, yeah, this does feel like a bit of a throwback. Like, it's got a high concept premise in the travel to Mars. But in many other ways, this does feel more like an old school rom-com. Yeah, and I like that combination. Like, you know, sometimes you want just silly, breezy fun. And mm-hmm. again, they they get into some commentary about, you know, environmentalism and capitalism and a lot of the other things we'll get into, I'm sure. But I'm a fan of a movie that I can sit and just enjoy how silly and funny it is. Because again, the humor really surprised me. The, the, some of those jokes are so well written and so well delivered that it really caught me off guard because I didn't have high expectations. Yeah, there's some fairly sort of obvious stuff that's Mm -hmm. going on. I'm a big fan of comedy that's kind of happening on the margin. So it's, you know, either playing over loudspeakers or we're catching glimpses of things in the background. And one of my favorite recurring jokes was any of the robots that we're interacting (laughs) with. So Walt 
uh, he's a barista on Earth, right where the Mars shuttles are constantly taking off because he wants to be as close to the action as possible. But he has a robot boss. So he's actually an assistant barista to this robot barista named Gary. And Gary has these gentle backhanded compliments <laughs> that he gives Walt all the time. Like, should I fire you so that you can go to Mars, Walt? <laughs> the delivery is so dry and just like gently quippy and mean-spirited but not over the top i found myself enjoying all of that like things like the loudspeakers you know hey uh something has happened to the shuttle and you have 11 minutes until things are gonna go horribly wrong but don't try to do anything because you can't exactly your chance of survival is not high please proceed calmly you know like (laughs) the robots so clearly have so much disdain for humanity and they really don't care if we live or die but it's played so like cheerily like they're so cheerful about it that it doesn't Mm -hmm. it doesn't get dark it's just really really funny because they the the robots really don't care if we live or die and they remind humans of that at every opportunity it's yeah i love it yeah i mean the the logistics of the story when you start to break it down it makes very little sense like we don't (laughs) actually care about how the world of 2049 works in terms of like how do we get to mars you know we're doing things like walt is facetiming and instant messaging with Ginny as she is literally taking off from earth (laughs) in a spaceship and you're just like well that doesn't make any sense right but it's fine like we we just accept it early on that we don't care about actual reality in that capacity and you just go with it because if not this movie is not going to be for you at all but i love that it then opens up the opportunities to yeah as you said have some playful comedy about the robots not caring about humanity and then also get in some some fairly nice digs about capitalism and the environment Mm mm-hmm Absolutely. Like one of the big reveals or or not even a really a big reveal because we find out early on is that Mars is sending all their trash back to Earth. Mm -hmm. Like supposedly it's this utopia where we've learned how to live better and take care of a planet better. But it's really just making sure your trash is somebody else's problem. The rich people send the trash back to Earth where all the poor people are stuck. Mm -hmm. And we've got Zach Braff as... There's a bit of Elon Musk there, you know, oh some com- yeah. yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, he he really exploits Walt quite a bit because, you know, he's well aware that Walt snuck onto the the spaceship. He's been monitoring his progress and he uses it to, you know, manipulate his board of directors and, you know, it's all about stock prices and publicity mm-hmm. and everything and, you know, the idea that the robots don't care about humanity and neither do the rich people. Yeah. The billionaires who can afford to be on Mars might as well be doing the voiceovers that say, please try not to breathe too much because there's no air left, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I thought that this was really interestingly handled because mm-hmm. you cast Zach Braff and you know what you're going to get, right? Like, <laughs> he's a bit of a beloved indie wonder kid, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we we've seen him on Scrubs, but even something like his own directorial efforts... He's got a bit of twee about him. So when he shows up as the face of this giant corporation, and he's obviously very intelligent, but he he likens himself to Walt in the way that they both have a kind of earnest idealism. But then it very quickly becomes clear that Leon Covey 
yeah, only cares about his stock prices. He turns Walt into a big joke by publicly releasing the footage of him sneaking around trying to get onto the shuttle to the point where it goes viral and people start waltzing. <laughs> and, you know, it's a joke about social media and yeah. how ridiculous things become ridiculous memes and so on. But it's also really super exploitative. Like, there's a darker version of this story where Leon Covey is a huge mega maniac who is trying to, like, destroy the world. Exactly. Yeah, I, I like that the movie, at every opportunity that it could become something really dark, like a really cynical satire or something, mm-hmm. it, it opts for the opposite route. Like, it's still yes. saying something, but it very much wants you to have fun and have a breezy, kind of frothy rom-com experience mm-hmm. there were a couple of times where i'll confess that that almost bothered me a little bit like it, it's hard to be mad at this movie <laughs> for not aspiring to do more because it's so clearly not interested in doing that mm-hmm. but like there's a moment where walt and sophie are they're just in despair about how the loves of their lives have gone off to mars and they're stuck on earth in this coffee shop and he discovers that Sophie is rich and he berates her for like, you know, you have a fear of flying, get over it and go be with this guy because you have all the money. And then she just goes like, yeah, I guess I will. So she pays $937,000. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I was just kind of flabbergasted. I'm like, this is a plot point in this film. Like we just have nearly a million dollars to spend on air travel. And like, you very much get the sense that there is that commentary where Walt doesn't have that. And obviously this is only available to the super rich, but it then becomes this convenient plot point. Like, why does she have this money? That is an astronomically large sum. And she's just like, yeah, I guess I will go to Mars. <laughs> yeah. Like she just realized she has it in her couch cushions or something. That's how casual she is about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they do say that her her parents died, I think when she was 14. So maybe they're trying to imply that she inherited you know, uh, yeah. a lot of money, but uh-huh. still, it, they're so casual, and they really lit her off the hook really quickly when she's like, "Yeah, it sucks to be you. I'm going to go plop down a million dollars and go to Mars." Like, mm-hmm. they don't interrogate that at all. And again, you know, yeah. they're not super interested in doing that, but I do wish they had talked about that a bit more. Yeah, because from what we see of her life, she's living in a dorm because she's sort of finishing up her senior year as is Walt at this unnamed university. Mm-hmm. And she's living with roommates because their introduction, their meet cute is when he stumbles into her room looking for the bathroom at a party. And you're just like, she has a million dollars kicking <laughs> around and she's just living in the dorm with some other girls. Like they needed to say something about like, you're super shy, you're introverted. Like we needed mm-hmm. to put you where you were going to be forced to interact socially or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Or like I, you know, it's in a trust that I can't touch or, yes. you know, I'm, I'm, I am trying to live as normally as possible, you know, something. So it's not just this shock that she has a million dollars in her pocket. Mm hmm. Now, I will say where the money stuff did pay off better for me is when Walt finally gets to Mars and Leon Covey says, oh, well, you can stay because I've made you super famous, but obviously I'm going to need you to do kind of PR work for me. And Walt basically ends up as a barista on Mars. (laughs) And I, I really like that because you can tell that there is, again, that commentary about, oh, just because you get to a new place doesn't mean your situation's any different. Like, his day-to-day life still kind of sucks 
and that's his character arc for the film so i i really appreciated that he isn't suddenly just like a rich and famous dude living on mars now exactly i like the the illusion of upward mobility like he might have literally gone light years above his station but he's just a barista in a new location yeah i love Mm -hmm. that yeah (laughs) which is not to say there's anything wrong with being a barista but not at all but the film is very deliberately trying to make a commentary about like okay who is special who gets to be special and is special really the end goal like i i will say i found the end of the film a little underwhelming because we're just hopping back on the shuttle to come back to (laughs) earth like so easy but i like the idea that walt ultimately realizes what his roommate at the beginning of the film said you know we're not special no one is special it's all about spending time with people that make you feel special and making memories and it's hokey sure but i actually think it's a really positive message i i like the idea that it's not about going to mars and doing space exploration it's actually just about finding a person who makes you feel loved and like respected exactly yeah i i know it's a cheesy line but i i still loved it when he tells sophie you are my adventure mars mm-hmm. is not my adventure you're my adventure and that's such a sweet and no pun intended such a grounded way of looking at things because <laughs> you don't have to go after these you know pie in the sky aspirations or you know try to be rich and famous and discover that a rich and famous person's life is just as empty or even emptier than your own you know it's finding someone that you love and you want to spend time with and finding fulfillment in your own life yeah i love it it's it's sweet and it's you know like you said it's hokey but i I still i really liked it i also appreciate that this was a gently feminist message because one of the things that walt delivers to sophie before they kind of reconcile at the end he gives her a to-do list of achievable goals because her her head is also very much in the clouds Mm -hmm. and i love that one of them is he should follow you and of course we know that ultimately he's referring to himself and not mason gooding's calvin but i thought that it was interesting that she's presented as highly intellectual really good at problem solving you know she's a bit of the underdog because people think that she always has to be second fiddle to her brilliant boyfriend Mm -hmm. and yet she's very clearly capable of doing all of these things herself and at the end of the day the film acknowledges oh walt isn't that special like really the person who should be in the limelight is sophie and so he does follow her exactly and you know walt watches calvin's application video because they send these videos in to apply to go to mars Mm -hmm. and sophie is coaching calvin the whole time supposedly he's the the big brain the big achiever but she's the brains behind the operation she's the one who's actually making these things happen and i I really loved that they included that scene yeah i think it's especially important when we're talking about women in science like when we're talking Mm -hmm. about women in stem like it's important to have even in a film as flighty and silly as this i really like the fact that we're saying no women can do science just as well as men yeah exactly and so many of the people that he interacts with the other scientists you know the lesbian couple Mm -hmm. um tabby and celeste are you know we don't see as many men in this group as we see no. women the captain is a woman all the other mm-hmm. you know scientists and engineers and everything are women which i appreciated yeah 
Oh my god. Uh, honestly, shout out to MVP of this movie, Michelle Buto. It's ironic because yes. Brenna and I just talked about Crushed last week where she's the high school <gasps> principal. Mm-hmm. She steals that movie and she totally steals this movie as Captain Tartar. I'm obsessed with her. Like she, she has this great scene where they keep faking us out and it's really predictable, but she keeps like, Oh, you think she's on to Walt, but she's really just making a joke. And then she's Mm -hmm. obsessed with dance parties. She is an absolute delight in this movie. Oh my God. Her comic timing is (sighs) so good. Mm -hmm. She makes it look effortless. Even when you see the joke coming from a mile away, I'm I'm like 98% convinced that most of her lines were also improvised. I, I agree it just they have to be yeah like her dna is all over that in ways that well i acknowledge the rest of the film is funny mm-hmm. she's really elevating that comedy to a new level a hundred percent um okay so i guess the other thing i wanted to talk with you about is what do you think of the visual aesthetic of this movie because i i was frustrated that a the, the mars stuff does not look great And that's fine, because we're not really spending a lot of time on Mars, like it's not about Mars. But I thought it was fascinating that if we're going to spend so much time on a spaceship, that we make the spaceship look like this, because it is really visually appealing. Like it's a lot of soft corners. It's a lot of soft looking fabrics. You know, the technology is slightly futuristic, but not so much that it's off putting like we're not 2001 in this whole thing <laughs> but i i just thought it was a really interesting depiction of what the sort of future of space travel looks like yeah it was an interesting mixture of like futuristic 50s futuristic 70s uh-huh. futuristic teenage yeah. girl bedroom you know freshman <laughs> yes. girl dorm room like there yeah. was so much going on that i really really liked it I, it might just be my love of neons and you know mm. teenage girl decor <laughs> but i i really liked it 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 felt very fitting like you said i'm glad they didn't try to go 2001 even though they do make a 2001 joke at one point because i'm sure mm-hmm. they couldn't resist but th- it's not harsh or sterile yes yeah yeah you know what i hadn't even thought that this is a sort of almost teen girl aesthetic and i'm really really glad that you brought that up because if we think about who the target audience for this movie likely is mm-hmm. it likely is teen girls right like we're, we're trying to appeal to their aesthetic so even when we see the inside of the cabin which is where a lot of the action ultimately ends up taking place it does just kind of look like a cozy little nook in which you would, yeah. you know, you want to hang out on that bed and you want to watch things on that screen. And it just looks very livable, right? Exactly. Yes. It is funny, though, because uh, one of the recurring comments in the criticisms that I saw of the film was like, Ugh, why are we so fixated on going to space, but then we're spending all of our time on a ship as opposed <laughs> to exploring it? I'm obviously going to chuck that up to the budget. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I had the same kind of reaction like, oh, this seems like an odd creative decision. But I think if they could only afford to really set it on the ship because they don't have the budget to do Mars and terraforming and all those other jazz. (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, I think what they pull off is enjoyable enough that I forgive it. I'd agree. Yeah, obviously there are some budget limitations, but I think they work with those limitations rather than letting them kind of best them. Mm-hmm. 
And I will say one of the more spectacular sequences in the film and the moment where I actually felt like uh, Sprouse and Condor had the best romantic chemistry is when they're doing the light show in basically after the 11 minutes where like, oh, shoot, we got to land the shuttle because something's gone horribly wrong. So we're now headed to Mars. And they're just kind of like camping out. Uh, Literally, they call it camping out. But I love that we get that light show of the kind of cosmos and different planets and so on. And the budgetary constraints in depicting Mars seem to have been spent instead on this sequence. And I thought that it was a smart choice because this looks really good to me. I agree. I thought that was really beautiful. And yeah, that was the moment where I also kind of felt them falling in love with each other or realizing that they had already fallen in love with each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I knew we were so firmly in throwback romantic comedy territory, because I was like, oh, we're doing the we're both with wrong partners. And they're not bad people. That's the thing that I hate the most about most rom-coms is that they make the the partners that our leads are with so abhorrent or like they're just dicks or they're harpies, they're shrews. And you're like, well, why are they even with this person in the first place? I really like that both Ginny and Kelvin are kind of delightful. They're just not the right people for uh, Walt and Sophie. Exactly. It's it makes it such a like a gentler version of a rom-com. I'm with you when when they make the original partners such a villain. Like mm-hmm. I, I I kind of binge uh, Hallmark rom-coms quite a lot yes. when I when I need to. And every time the original partner shows up, they are just a the snarling worst. mess. <laughs> like, yes. They are. They're the worst. So, I yeah, I'm with you. I love the message that, you know, they might be a good person, but they're not the right person. And that's OK. Mm hmm. Now, I did complain to you offline that there is not enough Mason Gooding in this, and I do stand by that statement. I agree. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think I first saw him in Scream, and when I saw his name in the credits here, I was like, oh, fantastic. And then he was on screen for all of, you know, two seconds. Yeah, and literally on screens, on screen. Yes. <laughs> like, the dude doesn't even get a bottom half, and how dare you? <laughs> we deserve better. We deserve, yeah, we deserve more of him. Uh, We deserve more smooching and Mm -hmm. uh, maybe like, you know, some nice like ab work or something. Agreed. Agreed. Especially when she brings up his six pack and then we don't see it. Right. (sighs) And also we all know what Cole Sprouse's body looks like. So when he's like, (laughs) girls don't need you to work out. Just like, sir, sir. Uh, okay, well, the the creep factor is now over. We can move on. <laughs> so, Jessica, uh, to sort of wrap up, I'm guessing that you would recommend this film, even though we're both kind of acknowledging it's not like groundbreaking or anything. I would. This this is definitely a movie I would rewatch. And like I said, it took me by surprise. It's funnier than I expected. It's cleverer than I expected. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying it's highly intellectual but i I think it's a fun movie that i would recommend to people yeah this one really did surprise me i went in expecting that this is going to be a bit of a vent episode where we were going to say what are they doing here and there's definitely elements where i think they're cutting corners narratively 
I wish that there was a little bit more romantic chemistry between our leads, but honestly, they're both so likable. And you're right, this movie is funny, and it's surprisingly clever in unexpected ways. So, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think people need to, like, run out and immediately check it out. But if you're looking for something kind of light and fluffy, it's a solid pick. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool, cool. Okay, so if folks want to talk about Mason Gooding or Moonshot with you, how would they get in touch with you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at We Who Walk Here, all one word, you know, no punctuation. We Who Walk Here on Twitter. Um, I am always on Twitter, ready to talk about movies. So come say <laughs> hi to me. <laughs> so true, and you're like extremely diverse in the kinds of movies that you're watching, and also a fantastic cosplayer. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. Okay. So if folks want to get a hold of me, you can reach me at B store my remote and that's the letter B. And if you want to get a hold of the show, you can do so using the hashtag HKHS pod. Or if you've got something long form, like say you're reading along for a book club, we're still looking to cover the absolutely true diary of a part-time Indian for the end of the month. So if you're reading along, you want to say something about it, you can reach out to us via email at hkhspod at gmail.com Jessica, I just wanted to thank you so much for filling in for Brenna this week. It was a delight as always. It was. Thank you so much for having me. And folks, uh, unfortunately, we are going to be sans Brenna again next week, but I do have another ringer of a guest spot, and we're going to be checking out another film, and I'm excited because we're going to talk a little bit about some trans joy. So we're going to be looking at uh, Billy Porter's debut feature called Anything's Possible. So stay tuned for that, and uh, until then, I will see you on the screen and uh no book so that's it take care <laughs>